This is Something to Gnaw On, a short podcast for the Christian with a short attention span or just short on time. Designed to give you something to mentally or spiritually chew on throughout your day, a Bible study in bite-sized form, if you will. This episode is Dad and Cars, three more stories from a dad. Before we begin, I have a few details about upcoming events. Next week, I'll be returning to the series Handling Conflict, King David Style, and we'll be covering the relationship between David and Michael. The more I study, the more I'm amazed how I've missed so many details of this story over the years. There's some timeless truth in this study in what may very well be the only spousal argument or fight in the Bible, and it's a dandy. Fit for Netflix or any Wives of Beverly Hills drama, but some great lessons to learn and apply. So be ready for that next week. Also, I've never intended to make this podcast an interview style, or at least at its core, not an interview style. But there's one guy I've been wanting to interview and share his incredible story. That's in the works and will be coming out most likely in mid to late July. I'll keep you posted as we get closer to that date. All right, enough of the commercials. Let's dive into some more stories from my dad. Story number one, belated confession. Confession is good for the soul, right? So I need to confess something I did 58 years ago this month. Three significant things happened on the same day. First, I got my driver's license. Second, I was given permission to drive solo the 15 miles to church in Seattle. And third, Interstate 5 had been completed near our house in Seattle. But there was a stipulation from my folks, don't get on the freeway. Even though I was going to church, the need for speed led me to an act of disobedience. I got on the freeway. No problem, I figured because I knew there'd be an exit where I needed it. Wrong. The exit was not finished yet. I was forced to travel further into downtown Seattle and then double back on city arterials. After church, I found an I-5 on-ramp and was headed towards home. Home free, right? No. (laughs) I ran out of gas. Busted. The Seattle Times the next day carried a cartoon I'm posting. And I'll be posting it on the Something to Gnaw on Facebook page for you to look at at your convenience. But for now, back to the story. I've always suspected someone had seen me on the side of the road with a gas can. And Mom couldn't resist putting it in an album of my youthful achievements. Now that my conscience is clear, I can go to bed and sleep. Good night, all. Story number two. Don't be surprised if your car won't start. By the time I had parked my car at the viewpoint overlooking the Columbia River, I was boiling over. Me, not the car. I didn't plan on getting back into the car until I had decided whether it was time to quit the church I was pastoring. Confession is good for the soul, and I admit to being ready to throw in the towel with attitude. I was hurting and angry. So there I sat, high above the river, rehearsing the events that had brought me to this moment. 
sunshine and beautiful views of the Columbia River and Mount St. Helens failed to lift the dark cloud above my mind. Ultimately, I reached a decision. I would go home and write my resignation letter. God didn't interfere with my pity party until I went back to the car. He did so through a series of God coincidences that ultimately brought me to my senses. Turning the ignition key produced nothing but a click. Quick inspection revealed that the battery was still good, but apparently the starter had given up. I was five miles from home. There was nothing to do but start walking down the highway. They didn't have cell phones back in the olden days. By the time I was halfway home, my plan had begun to unravel. With each step, it seemed God was saying, you need to stay at your post. So I played the let's make a deal card with him. If you want me to stay, please have Brother Hendricks drive by and pick me up. I smiled because I knew I'd gotten the best of him. Brother H worked day shifts at a mill in a nearby city and wouldn't be coming my way for three more hours. Just then, a small pickup truck flashed by at 70 miles per hour. Suddenly it slowed, pulled over to the shoulder, and backed up to me. A ride home, I thought. Relief turned to disappointment when I realized it was Brother Hendricks. I accepted his offer for a ride, but told him I was puzzled as to why he was on the road at two in the afternoon. I had a dental appointment, so I took the afternoon off, he said. Of all the days, I thought. Once home, I still wasn't willing to accept the obvious. The car's failure to start and Brother Hendrick's roadside rescue were too coincidental to be a coincidence. Apparently, God was saying no to my plan and I was not thrilled. I even tried to convince myself that both events were simply coincidental. But God had one more coincidence to make himself abundantly clear. My eyes were drawn to a book I'd purchased recently, but had not yet read. The title said something about the will of God. I have since forgotten both the title and the author. So I read a chapter or two. Imagine my astonishment when these words leapt off the page before me, quote, If you decide to get out of the will of God, don't be surprised if your car won't start. It was clear that God was performing an intervention on me. I was in the hot seat, but while there was a sense of rebuke, I felt no condemnation. Love and mercy seemed to permeate the entire encounter, and to my mind, God must have smiled humorously. I did too. I've always found his humor to be endearing, for loving kindness motivates it. After settling the matter with God, I found a ride back to my car, inserted the key into the ignition, turned it, and the car started immediately. In fact, it never failed again. The starter did not need replacement after all, and neither did I. Story number three, how I got my muscle car. I really wanted a new car. We'd been driving an older brown Chevy for a number of years while pastoring a small church. Frankly, our income would not allow for purchasing any car, much less what I would have liked. And there was that promise I had made God that I would drive that Chevy as long as he kept it running. God had taken me up on the deal 
keeping it running faithfully year after year. Behind my promise was an incident that took place when I was a junior in high school. I lived in the suburbs far from church and friends, so I had to depend on the family car to come available before I could visit or go on a date. Since I had insufficient funds and a financially inadequate job, I began to earnestly pray. The car didn't materialize. The problem, someone told me, was that I hadn't been specific enough. Therefore, God couldn't help me. So I began praying for a blue Oldsmobile 442 with a four-speed manual transmission, bucket seats, in short, a muscle car. Well, the Oldsmobile didn't come, and finally I resorted to promising God I would pick up kids for Sunday school if he'd just give me the car. The car was still not forthcoming. Older and wiser, and pastoring our first church for pennies a month, we were in need of a vehicle, so I prayed, Lord, if you'll just provide a dependable vehicle that won't nickel and dime us to death, I'll drive it till it dies. And God honored that prayer. Several years and 100,000 miles later, the Lord surprised us with not one, but two recent model cars. Within a week of each other, two parties were impressed by the Lord to give us a car. The first came from a group of churches who surprised us with a very nice Plymouth Fury 3. And I have to break in here with a touch of commentary. I remember that land yacht quite well. That thing was huge. On vacations, one of us would sleep on the floor, one would sleep on the seat, and one would sleep in the back window. Yes, this was the early 80s. No seatbelt laws at that point in time. Okay, back to the story. The other car was given by a couple who just began coming to church. They gave us the keys to their AMC Javelin. Definitely not a family car. It had the largest V8 that could be put under its hood, four-speed manual transmission, and most of the items I'd asked for as a high school student. I quickly learned something God knew about me when I first asked for a muscle car. I struggled with the temptation of speed. Side note here, this story may or may not be related to an incident where one of my parents took the other out in the javelin one night and rose four tires and all four gears on a desolate highway. Okay, back to Dad's conclusion. God had taught me a great lesson in prayer. He always answers prayer, but not always right now. And he doesn't always grant our wishes. He's too wise and knows us too well to let us hurt ourselves. When we're responsible enough to handle it properly, he's eager to provide our needs. He also knows when a gift will be an idol in our life, when a gift overshadows the giver in our hearts. Oh, and he also sees through our manipulation. And that would be the end of Dad's stories for this episode. You know the beauty of a podcast? For the most part, I never have a clue who's tuning in. So whoever you are, wherever you're from, and whatever you're going through, I hope you're a bit humored by my dad's stories. But hopefully there's a touch of sage wisdom in there to give you a shot in the arm that you need to deal with what's in front of you right now. There's no doubt that God sees you 
He's well acquainted with your situation and the proper path to take. Dig in and get close to Him. He'll guide you. Let me leave you with a golden verse out of Psalm 32. It's verse 8, and it reads like this. Quote, the Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and watch over you. That's out of the NLT. I also like how the ESV and a few other translations have translated that last line. Quote, I will counsel you with my eye upon you. End quote. Charles Stanley, who incidentally passed away this last month, was an incredible preacher, and we've lost a great one. He once spent about 40 minutes preaching on this very verse, and I'll try to find it and post a link in the show notes. But I was humored by an illustration he gave as he spoke of trusting God's direction on the path. He said his grandfather's commentary on the matter put it something like this, quote, If God tells you to put your head through a brick wall, then you get to running and trust that he'll make a hole before you get there. And the point? In God's process, obedience precedes understanding or negotiating or a host of other conditions that we place on God in our attempt to control the situations of life. So whether you're running up Interstate 5 when you've been told not to, or if you're trying to negotiate with God to get your way, or maybe you're trying to manipulate God with your prayers and you're frustrated because God's not like others in your life that you've been able to control in the past. Listen, take it from my dad, take it from millions of saints that have gone before us, and take it from the Lord himself. The safest thing you can do is simply obey a God that is ever-present, all-knowing, and strong enough to accomplish in your life what he desires. He has his eye upon you. He wants the best for you. Dig in, listen up, and do what he's asking you to do. I'm Nate Vineo, and I hope this has given you something to gnaw. Until next week, God bless.